there was a man by the name of Harold Lamb. And Harold had this dubious job of having to go and sell things to churches. Now that's an interesting group of people to have to sell to. And so he and his partner had gone to this church. They had made a presentation to their, to their elder deacon board. And they made their presentation and brought out all the slides and everything. And did everything they were supposed to do. And one of the men from the board got up. And he was very dignified. He was very clearly the man in charge, even though he wasn't the chairman of the board. He was the guy who ran the board. And he made his way past them. He didn't say a word. Made his way past them. Came up to the altar because they were meeting in the back of the church. And made his way up to the altar. Got down. Spent a few minutes with his head bowed. And then he got up. Walked back looked at the two salesmen, and he says, God has told me we are to wait. Harold didn't know what to say. But Harold's buddy, without saying a word, walked back down that same aisle, knelt at that same altar, bowed his head and spent a few moments, got up, walked back to that same board, And he looked the man in the eye and he says, "Uh, the father says he wants to talk to you again. You didn't get it right. (laughs) Is that what prayer is? Whatever we want it to be? Something we can manipulate and and pretend we get the answer we want from God? Is is that what prayer is? And, And what does prayer mean? And what it, how, how do we live with prayer? What's it all about? Is there a right way and a wrong way? What are the myths of prayer? What are, what are the, the, the mysteries of prayer? In the next few weeks, we're going to look at that. But I'd like you to think about prayer this morning. And I'd like to present to you the idea that some people... Uh, Struggle with prayer. Turn to James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war with you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So there there can be a wrong way to pray. You can pray with improper motives to a God who actually longs to give to you. And we are called to pray. James tells us to pray for wisdom, to pray for when we're troubled, to pray for the sick. God longs to answer us in prayer. And prayer is the channel that He has chosen to use. Chances are, if I were to ask the question, do you believe in prayer, most of us would say yes. Life magazine did a survey and they found 94% of Americans believe in prayer. We say we believe. But why don't we pray as often as we know we should? 
I'm not going to ask you to show your hands this morning if you believe that you pray as often as you should, but my question for you this morning is, why not? There was a Christian college professor, and he asked this question. He said, do you believe in prayer? And the students shout out, oh, yes, we believe. It's great. Prayer, we're all for it. And then he said, then why don't we pray more often? The class went silent. Finally, one brave student stood up and said, I don't know how. And someone else stood up and said, well, it's, it's because I don't know what to say. And what if, what if it doesn't work? And they begin to, to share their hearts. And, and he said at the end, he kind of made a list. And he said most of the questions or most of the reasons they didn't pray was either they said, I don't know how to pray or I don't know what to say. Have you ever struggled with those fears? Most of us have. Even Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So, it's normal. And for many of us, there's a belief that prayer is for the elite. That it's for those that really know God. Those that are spiritually superior. But I'd like you to turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, I want you to look at verse 17. It says this. Elijah. Oh, Pastor Greg, we got to stop right there. That's Elijah. Whoa, he, you, you just proved your point. It's one of the elite. He's, he's the greatest prophet of the past. In fact, it says in the Scriptures that he, had to, he, he, he got to meet with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's like one of the elite. You see, you proved it. Only the elite get to pray. No, 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 no. Let's see what the rest of the Scripture says here. Was a man with a nature like Ours. Did you catch that? A man just like us. A man just like us. Now he had power. Notice what it says. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again. And the heavens gave rain. And the earth bore fruit. And, and, and his prayers had power. But how did this normal, ordinary man pray with power? What was his secret? How do we pray like this man? And you say, well, well, Pastor Greg, you notice what it says above that. You didn't, you didn't read that on the slide. Uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. And Elijah was righteous. And Pastor Greg, I know I'm not. I know my faults. I know my selfishness. I know my desires. I know where I fall short with God. I'm not a righteous person. I'm not like Elijah. You just proved your point, Greg. I I'm not that person. Well, friends, 
I want you to get this foundational point. And it's this. The righteousness that Elijah prayed with is the same righteousness you and I pray with. It wasn't his, and it's not ours. It's his. You see, the Bible tells us there are none righteous. In fact, it says our righteousness is as filthy rags. It says it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. You see, my righteousness does not open the door of heaven. My righteousness does not open the throne room of God so that he wants to hear my prayers. It's not me. It's him. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, when he was buried and rose again, and I embraced his free gift of salvation, something happened. He gave to my account, he put in my account, he imputed, is the, is the biblical word we use, he imputed to my account his righteousness. And his righteousness is the key. His righteousness opens the doorway to the throne of God. When I walk in, it says to walk in boldly in my prayer. Why? Because I'm all that? No, but He is. And so when I walk into the throne, I'm walking with the VIP escort of the Son of God. And when I get down to pray, I'm praying with the confidence of the Son of God. Why? Because He gave it to me. And he gave it to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's yours. And this, I want you to get. Why can we pray like a righteous man? Why can our prayers have power? Why can't we do it? It's because of Jesus Christ. It's not a magic formula. Now, there's stuff we need to do. We saw in James 4 that they prayed wrongly. But it's not because I follow a magic formula that prayer works. And if you walk away from our series thinking, well, if I hold my hands this way and I pray in this position and I breathe this way and I do... It's not what it's about, folks. Prayer is about Jesus and what He has done for us. And it makes it possible for us to have an audience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I want you to get that foundational principle. But notice what it says. It says, like Elijah. So if we want to see this prayer of Elijah, then let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And we find that in the Old Testament. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. And we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 18. Now let me share with you what has happened up to this point. Here's what's happened. We had, you remember we had King Saul. And King Saul was removed and King David took over. King David was replaced by King Solomon, his son. And then King Solomon had a son by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam had a 
had a rival. His name was Jeroboam. We had the Battle of the Boams. And one of the things that happened was Rehoboam messed up. And so the kingdom, the united kingdom, divides. We have a civil war. And in this civil war, ten of the tribes go north. They form the northern kingdom. They're called Israel. And they're under the rule of Jeroboam. And two, two go south. They stay where they're supposed to stay. And that's with Rehoboam. We're talking about the northern tribes here. We're talking about Israel. And here's the bad thing about Israel. They didn't have any good kings. Every king was bad. And one of the things that happened was, it wasn't that they totally rejected worshiping God. They took a viewpoint of yes and. We will worship God, yes, and we're going to add some more stuff. We're going to add some stuff from Baal. We're going to add some stuff from Asherah. We're going to add some stuff from the other gods and goddesses of the lands. And we're going to make our own unique, eclectic kind of worship that we are going to do. And so they got farther and farther away from the true worship of God and had created kind of their own do-it-their-self worship system. One of the most evil of their kings was a guy by the name of Ahab. And King Ahab comes and he is persecuting. He marries this, this very wicked woman by the name of Jezebel. And they begin persecuting anyone who tries to truly follow God. And there was a thorn in their flesh by the name of Elijah. And God sends Elijah to him and says this. Hey, King Ahab, because of your sin... I'm going to pray and all the rain is going to stop. Now, we don't understand that out here in Minnesota. You know, it, it, the land of 10,000, which is probably closer to what? A million lakes. I, I don't know how many. But we have just water, water, water. You know? But I am from California. And old friends, if there's no rain... There's nothing. My little hometown during this drought that they've had over the last few years, over 1,500 of their homes have no running water because all the city wells dried up. Can you imagine for three and a half years, no rain in a very dry land? And they're in the northern kingdom. They're in the wet part of the land. They're in the place that's supposed to be wet, and there's no rain. After three and a half years, Elijah goes back. He goes back and he says, all right, we're going to have a little contest. So king, get all the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and I want to meet them on Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a challenge. God versus your gods. And so they meet on the mount, and here's what they're going to do. They're going to build two altars, and they're going to put their sacrifices on two altars. And the God who, who answers and sends fire from heaven and burns up what's on the altar wins. Now, what we don't understand from 21st century is this is a fight to the death. 
Whatever side loses will be put to death. So Elijah's putting it all on the line. And his servant. Could you imagine being Elijah's servant? Hey, boss, are you sure about this? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, don't you want me to go somewhere and do something for you? <laughs> like way far away. So the day shows up. 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah and his servant. Elijah stands there. All the people come out. This is the heavyweight contest. So everyone comes out. They're all watching. And Elijah says this, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. And so the altar is built. And the 450 prophets build the altar. They start going around it. They start crying, Oh Baal, answer us. Oh Baal, answer us. Oh Baal, answer us. And for four hours they scream. They dance. They pray. They cut themselves. And Elijah is talking smack talk. I mean, he is just going, yo, is he on a trip? Is he sleeping? Is he in the bathroom? Did he run out of toilet paper? Way. Why isn't he answering you? Did he go on vacation? And you go, Greg, are you making this up? No, read the passage. I mean, this is what he is saying here. And then I love what he says. There was no voice. No one paid attention. Then Elijah goes, there had been an altar to God there. And Elijah rebuilds it. An altar that had been given to God but had been deliberately torn down. And so he rebuilds it. He digs a trench. He soaks it with this very precious water until the trench is full he cries out to God and the fire falls the sacrifice is gone the water is gone the stones are burned up nothing is left and God is triumphant and then we come to the model of prayer first Kings eighteen forty one, and Elijah said to Ahab go up and eat and drink for there's the sound of rushing rain so Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down to the earth and he put his face between his knees and he said to his servant now go up and look toward the sea and he went up and looked and he said there's nothing and he said go again seven times and at the seventh time he said behold a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea and he said go up Go to say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of, was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Here are some things I gather I want you to look at. Number one, he commits himself to prayer flows from a committed heart he devotes himself to it you notice how it says he prays sitting down with his head between his knees now when you get home today i want you to try that it's very uncomfortable you have to be committed to do it 
He does this so his focus is on God alone. And he is persistent. And know that he keeps asking. He keeps sending a servant seven times. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? He keeps asking and asking and asking. He is committed. I love what C.H. Spurgeon once said about prayer. He said, prayer is the rope down below and the great bell above rings in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so languidly. The others give it an occasional jerk on the rope, but he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope and boldly pulls and pulls continuously with all his might. We need to be committed in our prayer and devoted to God in our prayers because he will use that prayer and that devotion to shape our hearts and to show us what truly matters. First, what matters to God, and secondly, what matters to us. You see, my friends, prayer is not our bending God's will to our will, but it's bending our will to God's will. It serves to purify and determine in our hearts what is truly important. The more we pour out our cries to the Lord, the more we discard that which is not important. It is our form of March Madness Tournament in which we pare down that which crowds out our minds and reveals that which owns our soul. Have you ever gone shopping with a kid? especially a young child. Friends, I want you to understand. Children have the ability to be single-minded. We don't. You know, in one part of your mind, you're worried about the mortgage, one part you got work, one part you got your relationships, and you got all these things tearing your, your brain to all these different things. But you know what a little kid thinks about? Whatever it is on their mind at that moment and they put 110% into it. So you watch that child. You know, they're sitting in the cart. Mommy! I want that! And you hear them throughout the store. And they keep going, but I want that! I want to distract you with this. No! I want that! 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 And pretty soon you're going, I'll buy it for him! I don't know you, ma'am, but I'll do it. Why? Because they're so focused on it. They work at it. Elijah worked it. He made it his business. This morning as you leave, you're going to find some things to help you make prayer your business. You're going to see out there prayer journals that we have created for you. I hope you take one home. hope you use it. You're going to find a prayer map for the world. It's set up that you can pray around the world every month. There's another one on praying through our country every month. And parents, there are special prayer uh, maps out there for your children that they can use to pray through the world every month. And you can pray with them. They're all there for you and we want you to use them. We want them to be tools that you will use. And some of you are going, I need to learn how to pray. So starting this Wednesday night, 645, my office, whoever wants to come, we're going to have a time. We'll take 10 minutes to talk about how to pray, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time praying from 645 to 745. Please consider coming with us. Notice, secondly, Elijah was specific in his prayers. He didn't simply ask God to bless Israel. He didn't simply ask, oh, well, make it a little wet, more wet around here. 
He asked specific. I want a specific response, God. You know, I found that general prayers generally do nothing. But it's specific prayers that have power. Inside your prayer journal, you're going to find a suggestion on how to use that. And I ask that you would write down questions or prayer requests that you can measure. Donna and I are currently praying for a specific need in our life. We started it uh, this last week, and God has already provided half of that need. But if I didn't ask for it specifically, I wouldn't know that God is answering my prayer. Void God bless prayers. God bless my son. God bless my daughter. Because there's no way to determine if God's answered you. Another personal example, Donna and I are currently praying for the salvation of someone in our life. This is a specific request about that person. We want to encourage you to be specific, just as Elijah, so that when God answers, you will know He has answered. Thirdly, Elijah prayed for something he knew God wanted to do. God wanted to send rain. That's why Elijah had come back. Notice 1 Kings 18.1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. If you look to some of the powerful prayers in Scripture, you're going to find that they all mention a specific promise God made, a goal that God was known to favor, how answering this prayer would result in praise to him, or how God's answering the prayer would affect how they could witness So when you put down your prayer request, I want you to think about when you're praying, I want you to ask yourself this question, why should God want to answer? That's what Jesus meant when he told his his disciples, you may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. To ask for something in my name, in Jesus' name, is that you're asking for something that you believe he wants to do. Often I speak on your behalf. And when I, do, when I speak on your behalf, I speak in your name. I try to speak in ways that would be honoring to what we as a congregation would do. That's one reason why I love praying the Scriptures. When I pray Scripture, I know I'm praying the Word of God. I know I'm praying what He has already said He wants to see happen. I would encourage you, if you've never prayed the Scriptures before, take your Bibles out. Start out in in the book of, of Psalms and pray those Scriptures. Pray those prayers back to God. Fourthly, Elijah involves someone else in his prayer. He included others. He keeps sending his servant back and forth to look at rain. Elijah could have done it himself, but he keeps involving someone else. It's a powerful thing to pray together. And may I encourage you, if you don't have a prayer partner, find a prayer partner. And if you're in a small group, small groups, pray together. For there is power when you get together and pray together and you you wrestle together in prayer. Fifthly, Once Elijah prayed, he behaved as a man who expected an answer. He repeatedly sent a servant to look for the answer. And once the answer was seen, once the cloud was seen, he acted like a man expecting rain. I love this old story told about a western town. The pastor, they'd been in the midst of a drought. And the pastor said, 
this, this Sunday, we're going to pray for rain. And I want those who believe to show up who are going to pray for rain. And uh, the crowd came. And the crowd was gathered. And the pastor stood up. And he said, I'm sending you all home. And they go, look at the crowd. Pastor, we believe that, that we can pray for rain. And he looked at him and says, yeah, but not one of you brought an umbrella. Did you get my drift there? If you believe, act like it. Live like it. He believed it would happen. Now, I don't know if that's a true story, but I know that's how God looks at our prayers. James 5, 6 through 8 says, as when he's concerned, he says, the person who prays must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So when we pray, we pray expectantly, believing that God will answer. And that's why when you have your prayer journal, there's going to be a column in it to give you a note of the date that God answers your prayer. We want you to pray expecting an answer, but I want to remind you, no is an answer. Wait is an answer. Let me change your heart on this issue, our answers. But God will answer. And lastly, Elijah prayed with the hope that his prayer would be a witness. You say, come on, Greg, where's that in there? Notice what he says to the king. He tells the king to go sit and eat. Why? The challenge of the mountaintop was over. This prayer is the preliminary before the rain came. He could have sent Ahab home, but I think he wanted Ahab to hear his prayer. I think he wanted Ahab to witness the power of God. You see, I think uh, Elijah prayed so that Ahab, his heart could be reached. I think he wanted to see Ahab become a follower of God. The purpose of the drought, the confrontation on Mount Carmel, and now the purpose of this prayer was to change the heart of the people and to change the heart of Ahab. And as wicked and as evil as Ahab was, God still cared for his salvation. God is patient, he says in 2 Peter not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, one of the things I have found that answered prayers remembered and shared are powerful tools of witnessing. When you're able to share to someone, hey, this is how God has worked in my life. It's a powerful, powerful tool to open the door for conversations about God. So friends, will you embrace this idea of praying to share your faith? One man once said as we close, to become more effective in our prayer, we need to remember it's not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many they are, it is not the rhetoric of our prayers, nor how eloquent they may be, nor the geometry of our prayers, how long they may be, nor the music of our prayers, how sweet their voice may be, nor the method of our prayers, how orderly they may be, nor even the theology of our prayers, how good the doctrine may be, for which God does care. It's the fervency of our prayers, the constant faithfulness in prayer that wins the day and unleashes the power 
of God. Oh, friends, may we become a church of prayer. I ask this now in the name of Jesus. I ask that we would, Father, become a church of prayer. A church not afraid to be consistent and dedicated to it. A church of people who love to pray and love to share how you answer. People who rejoice to be in your presence. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.